Well, series is on series. Our series is on relationships, and uh, this morning we're talking about an invitation to connecting. Six invitations to healthy relationships. This morning, again, it's about connecting, an invitation to connecting, to connection. You know, all of us want to be known for our strengths. We want to be known for the things we do well. We want to be known for the, things we, for the ways we have life put together, right? We want to be known for that. Um, but let me point something out. Although we make contributions through our strengths, although we, uh, we achieve through our strengths, although we feel good about our strengths, we connect through our weaknesses. We connect through our dependencies. We connect relationally through our vulnerability. From the Word of God, 1 John chapter 2, verses 9 through 17. Hear God's Word this morning. 1 John 2, 9 through 17. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I'm writing to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because... You're strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. May God bless us through this, his holy word. Let us pray. Father, bless us now to receive your word that we may become all that it envisions, that human life we, in Christ, recreated, can be. The old is gone. The new has come. May we embrace that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was uh, in college... Uh, I had two, my two grandmothers were in their 90s, and they both lived with my parents. So two 90-year-old grandmothers, oh, it was funny watching them just sort of provide commentary on everything that was happening in the kitchen or, or, uh, or, or that, you know, the comings and goings of the household. You know, they sat there and they would just sort of talk to each other and just sort of provide a running background buzz that was going on. Well, my grandmother, uh, Philston, my, my dad's mom, had a, a, a dresser up in her room, her suite, really. She had a whole suite upstairs. And her, uh, her dresser had pictures just like three or four or five layers deep, right? Uh, you know, pictures from the past, pictures of extended family, pictures of, of she and her husband, and uh, pictures of all the, 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 the children. And, uh, and then there was a picture out front and center, Yes. 
My picture was sort of embarrassing. It was always like front and center, right? One morning I was, um, I was up and uh, on a break, and uh, I, was, I came down to the kitchen. My grandmother was already there, and she was making the coffee. And uh, that's a whole other story, how she made the coffee. And whoo, my goodness, that coffee. I'm still sort of on a buzz high from that coffee. But she, uh, but, but she was making the coffee, and she looked up at this trivet that my mom had on the, uh, on the wall. It said, Nancy's Kitchen. And she, um, she looked up at that thing, and she said, she kind of s- looked over at me. She says, remember, it's Nancy's Kitchen. <laughs> I said, Grandma, don't give Mom a hard time, okay? And, uh, and she didn't say anything. And I, I, I really offended her. And uh, so I, I kind of left it. I went up that night to, uh, to, to talk to her. <laughs> went up the, okay, some of y'all know where this is going. I went up that night <laughs> to talk to her and uh, just see if, she was, if we were okay. And I looked over at the dresser, and my, uh, my picture was all the way in the back. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought, I thought, well, maybe I'll, uh, you know, maybe I'll just sort of let this thing slide and just try to connect with her without broaching the subject. Isn't that what we do? That's what we do. We just kind of say, well, we'll just kind of smooth over things. We'll just kind of, we'll just kind of move on. That's what we do. We'll just kind of move on. Well, I decided not to move on, and I, I, I decided that a grand, a grandmother doesn't need to. To, to have mediation from her grandson about her relationships with other people in the household. And I, I just acknowledged that and uh, said I was sorry. And then the next morning, I, I kind of peeked in to see, yeah, that picture was back out front, yeah. <laughs> but see, here's the thing. We, we, we love to think that we can connect with people through our strengths. We help people through our strengths. But we connect with them through our vulnerabilities. So let's take a look this morning at how th- this, is, this is the sermon, and then we're just going to walk through it. Your experience of, of your forgiveness of God, the forgiveness of God personally experienced makes you more personable. Let me say it a little different, differently. W- w- when you experience the grace of God on a personal level, you can connect with people more personally. So let's take a look. First, when we depend upon God's forgiveness, when we recognize we're vulnerable and, and we need it, all right, we can really recognize and appreciate that need in other people as well. When we live there, when, when that's central to who we are, we recognize we, we're, we wake up every day and we're, we're uh, you know, it's like the guy who said, you know, hey, Lord, you know, things are going really well. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't lied. I haven't uh, committed any kind of uh, major sin uh, today. But in a minute, I'm going to get out of bed, and I'm going to need your help, right? I mean, it's like we, we need his forgiveness every day. And when we live there, when we recognize that's part of our story, is that we're a forgiven people. We can connect with people through that need, their need, that really human relationships pivot on forgiveness. They, they, they only survive on forgiveness. Verse 9, it says, says this, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Well, what's, it, what's it saying? It's saying, look, what is that light, the light that shines on? Look, we are all in need. 
the light is not only just the light of what we're becoming, the light is what we are. To shine upon us. Here's where we are. That's not who we're going to be, but the light is that, that there is a gospel. And the gospel is good news, but it's good news that shines in our darkness. You see? <laughs> and when we recognize that about ourselves, then we have no cause to hate and to stumble in our love for one another. You see? That's part of our story. That's part of how we connect. We connect on that level of need. Are you living there? Are you living on that level of need? Such that you can see the need daily for everyone else. I mean, human relationships only survive because of forgiveness. In 2006, there was a horrific event that, called, that was a grand call for a magnanimous display of this need of forgiveness. And, uh, and the provision, magnanimous, really magnanimous provision of forgiveness. It was, a, it was one of those shootings that we dread, right? And this was a, a shooting up in Pennsylvania in an Amish community. What a shocker. Within the Amish community, there was, there was this shooting. And 10 children were shot and half of them died. And then the, 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 uh, the perpetrator... Uh, turned the gun on himself. And within hours, the leaders of that Amish community had reached out to the family of the shooter. And the country, the media, did not know how to process that fact. They didn't have a box for this. They were like, you know, like that that emoji, you know, that sort of mind-blowing emoji is like, they're looking at this forgiveness and they're thinking, is this okay? This is weird. What's going on here? Here's this community that really takes forgiveness so seriously that there's no way we can disclaim or discount what's happening here among them. This horrible thing. And in the midst of when, when the media parade would, would want to find the blame and pile on and make the worst of it, they're, they're sitting here going, uh, we don't know how to provide commentary about this. We don't know what to say about this. And in fact, <laughs> it's only gotten worse that we, in our culture that, that we don't understand this whole idea of forgiveness. Just last year, this month last year, published in the Atlantic Month Monthly, Elizabeth Bruning said this, as a society, we have absolutely no coherent story, none whatsoever, about how a person who's done wrong can atone, can make amends, and retain some continuity between their life and identity before their mistake and after it. You hear what she's saying? She's saying, we have no coherent central story for how, when you make a mistake, how do you... Build a bridge from the before and the after that. How, how do you deal with that? How do you atone for that? How do you make amends? We don't have a, a story for it. How do you make sense of what's going on with that Amish community? Well, you make sense of it by recognizing that there's a story there. There's a gospel there. There's a, there's a central image and arc of narrative 
of a, of a creator who becomes part of his creation that's broken and takes on the debt himself. And because they're really living there, the Amish community is really living with that forgiveness as central to their identity. It is their story. They have the resources to respond to something as horrific as a shooting. You know, it's the recognition, then. It's the recognition that we all live by forgiveness. And we can connect with each other when we're living in it ourselves. Then we can see the need that other people have. And we can be gracious. Hemingway, one of his uh, the great novelists, uh, wrote short stories as well. And one of his short stories famously begins with a story about forgiveness. And it's, it's this, uh, this story of a father who, um, whose son uh, kind of gave him the Heisman. You know what that is. It's sort of like, ah, I've had enough of you. And he goes off and he wants to be a matador. He wants to, you know, this is set in Madrid, Spain. And, and, uh, and so uh, the father decides to reach out to the son. And, and his son's name is Paco. And it's a common name. It's kind of like, you know, calling somebody Bob or something and, uh, in, in Spain at that time. So, so the father uh, decides he's going to publish something in the, in the paper, in the main newspaper, and, and it says, uh, uh, Paco, meet me at, at the Hotel Montana at 8 o'clock on Sunday. All is forgiven. And uh, Hemingway finishes the introduction uh, by saying this. He says, uh, the the, the, the National Guard had to be called out because 800 Pacos from all over the city showed up at the hotel. Now, that's fiction. But, but the reason why uh, I say it is because that story has gotten legs. Uh, you know, decade after decade, generation after ge- generation, people relate to that. They, they recognize that everyone has this need. And when you and I live in that place, when we, when we wake up every day and recognize we're forgiven and we're living there, when that's, that's part of our story, we have resources to connect with people. We can see the need around us and we can see that human relationships, they only thrive, they only survive, they only persevere because of forgiveness. So when we depend upon God for forgiveness... When we recognize our own vulnerability, we can see others' need as well. We can connect there. But not only that, we, when we connect on God as Father, right? When we, connect, when we personally connect with God as Father, then we can begin to treat others as children and not objects, as our fellow siblings, as people, as persons, as, and not objectify them as some means to an end to get what we want. When we live into, live in that space, that place where we recognize God is our Father, that when we recognize we're His children and, and we're living there, that that's part of who we are. You know, who are you? Someone asks, who are you? Well, I'm a child of God. When you really live that way, when, when it's personal to you, personalized to you, not just some ideal, not just words on a page, then you relate to people better as siblings and not as objects. You don't objectify them as means to your own personal end. Verse 
12 to 14, it, it's sort of repetitive, right? It says, I'm writing to you, dear children. And then it says fathers and sons, children, fathers and, son, and, and sons, essentially. Children is everyone, all of us. And of course, you know, this was directed, you know, at that time, it, it was directed to the leaders of the church. But he's trying to say, look, whether you're in the older generation or the younger generation, all people need to relate to God as father. And when you do, when you do, you see, you, it, this is sort of coming out of this no cause for stumbling. How do we relate well to one another? How do we relate well to one another? By relating first and foremost to God as children of God, as people who depend on God, not as independent agents. You know, independence is, is a fleeting adolescent phase of developing competencies so that you can lend them to other people when you're grown up. But some people never get over that phase. It's like they think of independence as a virtue. It's not. We are interdependent. We're depend- we go from dependence to this brief phase of independence where we're just sort of, again, we're, we're sort of like Paco giving that Heisman, that stiff arm to, uh, I just love that, uh, giving the Heisman, and the Heisman, it's kind of that image. Maybe you don't think that's very funny, but for me that's a hilarious image. It's like, uh, you know, the first time I heard it was a friend of mine uh, who said this, this girl had given him the Heisman, and I thought, what, what, what do you mean? He said she just went, I, I asked her on a date, and she just went, <laughs> But, but I mean, see, when we're independent, we're giving people the Heisman. It's like, I've got the ball, I'm running this way, and just stay away. I, I'm, I'm an island. I am unto myself. And one of the reasons why uh, Presbyterians are connected is because we recognize we are interdependent. And the virtue and the goal is to be able to be in community together, not... Not independent agents who just happen to sort of identify with this, this sort of slice of um, some ideological spectrum and we all just sort of get along because of it for a period of time. No, we are, we are part of one another. See, what happens when we don't recognize this is we tend to make people into a means to an end. And there are a couple of different ways we do it, really three different ways we do this. We try to get our own way. So instead of relating well to people as children, as siblings, instead of recognizing, hey, we're all dependent on God and we're interdependent on each other, instead of that, what we tend to do is we objectify people and we try to get our way using other people. And there there are three different ways we do that. Uh, First of all, imagine a scenario on the ways that we we tend to do this. Like, let's just say you're a student in college and um, you... you, uh, you're up against a deadline, and you're seeing the deadline. And let's just say you walk into your, your professor's office and say, hey, look, I can, I can turn this in uh, tomorrow, but I'd, I'd really like to do a little better work on it. And I'd, I'd like uh, an extra day. I wonder if I could just get an extra half day even. I'm not saying that this actually happened, but um, maybe it did. Um, but just imagine, hypothetically, that you're in that scenario, and you're the student, and you're approaching. Now, you could, you could approach the, the, that professor this way. You could say something like this. Well, you know, I, I've, I've gotten to be really good friends with your boss, right? And, uh, you know, by the way, we're going to play golf today, and, uh, and I, I sure hope that uh, you'll uh, give me a little extra half day, right? We do that, don't we, in some ways? We just sort of 
just sort of shoot across somebody's bow and we use a little bit of a, a fear, a little bit of, of power through fear. We do that in all kinds of ways. Some, some ways are very, very, very subtle, right? We just want to operate as independent agents and we want to use power over other people to get our way. And we reduce them from people to objects when we do that. Sometimes we use guilt. We say, you know what, I just, you know, it's just, I've been under the weather and uh, I just have not been able to sleep very well. And, um, you know, it, it sure would be unfair of you not to recognize that I need special provision, right? Or we use shame. We say, you know what? You know, you kind of dropped this on us, and it wasn't very clear. And, you know, just last week I had to get clarity on, on what exactly what you were looking for. And if you had been clear, I could have had this thing done. So we use fear and guilt and shame to apply pressure on people to use those as power over people as objects to get what we want. Don't we? Of course we do. And so you go back to this text and you say, well, how can I connect better with people? And John is saying, dear children, this is the way he loves to address, you know, this is the elderly. John is the only one who wasn't, uh, uh, one of the only one of the apostles who did not die uh, at the hands of someone else. He died of natural causes. And he is elderly and he's writing to these fledgling churches and he is the elder statesman and he loves to nurture people in the faith. And he loves to talk about people as dear children. But he's, he's not being paternalistic. He's saying, relate to God as Father, and you will relate better, connect better with one another. You see? And finally this. When we depend on God's opinion, then we become generous with our own opinion towards other people. Let's put this back into the flow of the whole thing here. So, so we're, we're talking about how God's forgiveness, personally experienced, makes us more personable, right? And we saw how 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 God's forgiveness is really it it is a necessity of the perseverance of human community. And, and we just we just recognize too that that when we we relate well to God as Father, when we personally relate and experience God as Father. We relate to each other and see each other more as people than as objects to be manipulated for our own ends. But now recognize this.
when that's his opinion, when that is what we're living with, his opinion of us, then we're not moving towards people constantly to gain from them a good opinion. away from people that isn't always gimme, 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 gimme. We move towards people. of work or maybe it's even a sibling and and they seem to be getting on in life and things seem to be going well with them you ever seem to find yourself Because we think that just a little bit more of the world. And, and how do we compare that? How, how, do we, how do we measure whether... Every morning, great is his faithfulness. Are you living with his opinion of you? Uh, how, does this, how does this help us? Well, it's a little bit like there's just a funny little example as we close here. That, uh, a friend of mine named Paul wanted to learn how to be a, a chef. He decided he was going to do that with his ass. And well, give me a summary of, of what you learned about cooking well. And he said, well, to cook well, you just need really fresh ingredients. I said, well, that's what you learn. I mean, I thought you'd learn how to flip things and learn how to sort of dice it and maybe catch it. You see, those are the fresh ingredients that we need on a daily basis to be able to connect well with people. When we, when we experience his forgiveness personally, then we can relate well, personally. Let's pray.
Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, how we thank you for your steadfast love, which is new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Lord, in the close of the days in prayer and song, we would contemplate the cost. In Jesus' name, amen.